Hey, who fans, welcome to the Big Blue Box Podcast. My name's Gary. My name's Adam. And we're at episode 155. Sorry. Have you ever thought what it's like to be wanderers in the fourth dimension? Nobody in the universe can do what we're doing. I've reversed the polarity of the neutron flow, so the TARDIS should be free of the force field now. There's no point in being grown up if you can't be childish sometimes. The trouble with time travel is, one never seems to find the time. Change, my dear. And it seems on a moment too soon. Unlimited rice pudding, etc., etc. I am the doctor. Great men are forged in fire. It is the privilege of lesser men to light the flame. I'm the doctor. This is Rose Tyler. She's my plus one. Is that all right? That would be me. Hello. Surprise. Boom. Etc. I'm the doctor. Do everything I tell you. Don't ask stupid questions. And don't wander off. How can you kidneys? I don't like the colour. Howdy do, who fans? Episode 155 is upon us. Hope you've had a cracking week and that you've managed to do something Doctor Who related. Yay! Hey! Hey! Something Doctor Who related. There you go. Only took three years. You got there, mate. You got there. So, coming up in today's show. Still light on news, you know. Yeah, there ain't a lot around, is there? There's not much going on. Not really. We're into that. It could be like this for a while, you know. I don't, I don't think that the next series is going to hit our screens for quite some time. Yeah. <laughs> I keep hearing rumours of it being like late next year, and I'm thinking, blimey. Like, yeah. Uh-huh, yep. Like September, August, I don't know. It's way off. Yeah, so we've got <laughs> a few months lead up to the, the Christmas special, obviously. Oh, yes. Where we get to see... Capaldi's exit and and Jody's uh, entrance. Mm. So I got that coming up, and then you're right. I think after that it's going to be a f- few months of of scraping a barrel. I think we're through to the wood almost. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for news and stuff. <laughs> but you know what? We're here to keep you guys entertained and and all that in the the times where there's no new Doctor Who stuff or anything exciting going on. So yes, I was about to say. Do you know, I was about to say actually it'd be quite exciting because we'll even if there's not much news, we'll probably see little filming photos and stuff. And then I was thinking, actually, Chibbers has said he's going to cut down on, on that mm-hmm. and to try and stop people going to set. So maybe we won't even get that. Like, I'm really in the middle on that because I like a little bit, but I don't like too much um, in terms of like spoilers and stuff. So, yeah, I don't know. I hope we get to see a few little filming pics or something, some little teasers. But, yeah, we don't want too much. I already feel like I know half the Christmas special. I don't know about you. <laughs> yeah, it's always a danger, isn't it, where yeah, um, stuff gets leaked and then more stuff gets leaked. And then mm. before you know it, you've built up a pretty good picture of what it's going to be. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we just, I don't know. It's um, I'd like to think we get a few little bits, a few little shots of Jodie filming. Yeah, it's always a tricky one, though, with with that stuff, isn't it? Because lots of people love it and they'll grab all the spoilers they can get and other people uh, don't want it, don't want anything spoiled. anything at all yeah, yeah as the name would suggest they don't want anything spoiled before they want to see it fresh and mm. and be shocked and surprised and, and all that or disappointed maybe um, yeah so it's very difficult for us as well because we get a lot of people say have you seen this and we're like uh, I don't, want to, don't know whether to click on this or not I don't know so I know you it's- don't mind spoilers too much but 
I no, I don't mind them too much. I must admit, it's funny because I've always said that. I always say, oh, I don't really mind spoilers, but even I thought that there was too much ruin from the last series, so I had yeah. to sort of backtrack on that a bit. But it's very diff- difficult to avoid them if you don't, because I know um, our good friend and listener Loopy Lou doesn't like spoilers, and mm. I, I remember like it's very difficult, especially if you're on Twitter or anything, to avoid them because everyone just retweets stuff. So even if you manage to, you know keep off it you're still in danger of seeing a retweet or something so yeah it's yeah. difficult yeah and then we had the whole dwsr hashtag yeah that, see that got a bit mad didn't it yeah that really caused a lot of headaches i think in the run-up mm. to um the uh the run-up to series 10 it, people it really put people's backs up because it's you can't really ignore it because so many people retweet and retweet and you know, and put stuff out. So, because mm. I put a, a, on my Twitter app that I use on my um, on my Mac, I I muted that hashtag um, after a while because it just got to the point where so many people were retweeting it. You just can't escape. Mm. You can't even if you say right, I'm not going to look at stuff to do with that hashtag or anything like that. You have people that weren't necessarily tweeting using the hashtag. They were just copying and pasting and retweeting and everything. So you think, oh, yeah. crikey, how do I get away from this? So I had to mute the whole... So any tweet that contained that hashtag just gets muted now. I don't even see it. So it's a nightmare. And it, even when you think it's safe, because I remember the Alpha Centauri getting ruined for me the day of the episode. Oh, um, yeah. Because that was a... That kind of came out of nowhere. They managed to sort of keep that quite under wraps, I think. And then I just remember somebody scrolling through Twitter and obviously you kind of... You know, you're near the end of the series then. So you're sort of not really too worried about spoilers at that point. And then I just remember seeing someone saying, oh, I've worked it out. Alpha Centauri is going to be in tonight's episode. And I was like, well, that's very random. <laughs> and then obviously as the episode progresses and all, you know, you start to see, you know, what's coming. I was like, oh, no, I already know. <laughs> Alpha Centauri is going to pop up in a minute. And sure enough, it did. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, yeah, it's difficult, isn't it? Very difficult. Difficult to avoid, yeah. Um, talking to Jodie Whittaker, I finished watching her latest BBC drama last night. It's oh, one yeah. of her impersonating a doctor. Mm-hmm. So funny because there's so many lines in it that are relevant. Like she's <laughs> like, I'm a real doctor now and things like that. And I, you know, I can't believe I'm a doctor. She keeps saying and all this stuff. And it's like, yeah. Um, yeah, it was an interesting drama. Did you watch any of it? Because no, it was no. a four parter and last night's was like, the big conclusion if you like yeah no i missed them no they're good yeah not bad um yeah a bit (laughs) far-fetched like there were so many things we we were all saying through it like well how would that happen and surely she would have to get paid you know how is she getting paid if she's using someone else's there's lots of things that didn't really add up but it, it made for quite a good piece of television um a little bit gory in places uh, so if any of our younger viewers actually young viewers probably love all that gore don't they but i was watching a lot of it through my fingers because <laughs> it's a medical drama so a bit gory yeah i don't know it was okay she was very good in it. anyway she was very good in it i found the the conclusion a bit um disappointing myself but i see a lot of people online loved it so it seems like i'm in a bit of a minority um, but but yeah, she was really good in it. So yeah, I was um, going to say, did you like her? Can you see? Yes, I did. Yeah, you know, she's a great actress. Really, really good. She is mm. good, and I I will say it's one of those dramas. I think um, you know, like when because she is good, she kind of carried it a bit for me, if you know what I mean. A bit like we tend to say about Matt Smith, if he's in a particularly drab episode, he's normally fun to watch. Um, she just because she was good in it, she was quite engaging because it was very slow in places. 
and there wasn't a lot going on. And I kept thinking, yeah, she's, you know, if you had somebody else in this role, this could be quite boring, this program. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a good sign. Do you know what I mean, she made it quite interesting um, and she's definitely a good actress. So, yeah. So, yes, high hopes for our, our Jodie. I just keep, the whole time <laughs> I was watching it, I just keep thinking, you know, I was sort of trying to picture as the Doctor, like when she had sort of, quite dramatic scenes in it. I kept thinking, yeah, well, is this what she's going to be like as the doctor when she's getting angry and, you know, mm-hmm. sort of trying to judge her and, and think what she might be like. So yeah, it's interesting. I wonder if she'll do anything in between because I'm guessing as soon as she starts filming, whenever the heck that is, she ain't going to have a lot of time to do anything else. So I'm just wondering if she's going to pop up in any other programs between now and Doctor Who. Cause I, I have no idea when they start filming. I don't know. don't know if you do. No, I, I did hear it was going to be early. Early next year, I think. Sort of oh, feb- right, so probably February not. Time. Yeah, unless uh, she's filmed something in between. Yeah, maybe. Hmm. Didn't didn't Capaldi do that? Didn't Capaldi film? He had a small role in the the second Paddington Bear film, didn't he? Oh yeah, that's right. Has that actually come out? Because he was really funny in the first one. Yeah, so that's due out soon. I think that's out at the cinema in the next month or two. Have you seen the first Paddington? No, no. Because you know what? That was such a surprise. I. I remember seeing the trailers for it thinking, oh dear, this looks bad. Because <laughs> I, I quite liked Paddington as a kid, the TV show. Um, and it, yeah, the trailers for it just made it look awful. It mm. looked really juvenile and sort of gross out humour. I was just thinking, oh dear. And then I don't know how we ended up going to see it at cinema. We probably had a voucher or something and there was probably nothing on. So I ended up going to see it at cinema. And it was one of those really pleasant surprises. Mm-hmm. Um it was so much fun. And Peter Capaldi is brilliant in it because he sort of plays this really grumpy but also quite likable neighbour. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's a neighbour that's sort of spying on them and, and trying to catch them out. And it's I'll tell you what, it's, it's worth a watch. It's not going to blow your mind away. You're not going to come away saying that is the best film I've ever seen. <laughs> but um, maybe because I had such low expectations as well. But I just come out of cinema saying, God, that was really fun, wasn't it? It's like a good family film. You don't get stuff like that now. That was really good. um, Yeah, Capaldi's good in it. So I I will watch the second one just to see if it's, you know, the same, if it's good. But I haven't seen it yet. Oh, cool, yeah. I I saw a trailer for it. I took took the boy to see um, something last week. What did he want to see? Oh, the, (laughs) the Captain Underpants movie Captain Underpants. yeah if anyone that's got kids is that a real or, thing yeah yeah anyone that's got kids <laughs> I don't even know uh, what that is it's based on a really uh, successful range of kids books called captain underpants and then it's got a really long subtitle um <laughs> it, was, it was actually right but yeah i saw a trailer for that and i saw capaldi pop up and i thought oh i remember thinking ah he was in the first one as well mm. so yeah so that'll be out soon but if i think I'm, if i'm getting my timelines correct I'm pretty sure he filmed those before he kicked off filming for series 10. So maybe yes, she'll do the yeah, same. I think so. Yeah. If there's yeah. anything she wants to do now would be the time <laughs> to, to get it done. Because as we all know, it does take up your entire life for what is it? 10 months of the year starring yes. in Doctor Who. It's a big commitment, isn't it? It's mm. a big commitment. I was just thinking actually, it's funny because it's just come up that, so it's three years since Capaldi, took over and, and obviously he's now left and i was just thinking feels like a really short run mm. even though i know i know like you know um uh, matt did three years didn't he did matt three did series four years, I think did, he? did he do four um but it just it seems really short i kind of feel like we had this great doctor and um and as much as i am really excited for jody and this new new start to the show and stuff but i don't know i kind of feel like we lost 
Peter a bit too soon. And I also mm. feel because we had that big gap, you know, I feel his era was a bit of um, a bit patchy. And it's such a shame because right. he was so good. Um, you know, it was so, so much potential there. But I'm glad we got to see a bit of it in series nine, was it? <laughs> ten? I've lost track of where we are. The latest one. The latest series. Uh, just gone ten, it? yeah. Is that 10? Oh, yeah. I've lost track. Um, so, yeah, I'm glad we got to see a bit of it in that. But I don't know about you, Matt. Just part of me feels we just didn't get enough of the good stuff. Does that? <laughs> uh, I think that's a, a shared opinion, mate. I think yeah. um, it's not his fault. I think he was just written, as we've said many times, he was just written very inconsistently across Series 8 and 9, especially Series 9. I mean, that was all over the place, pretty much. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. I think we should have had... I think series eight, they sh- they really should have ironed out any inconsistencies, and then series nine should have been very strong. But for some reason, it wasn't. It was for me, it was the weakest out of his three series that he did. I think series eight wasn't perfect, but it was certainly uh, it kicked off in the right direction ish, and then series yeah. nine wasn't great at all. But then series ten, it sort of picked back up again for the most part, and we saw some brilliant stuff from him. So. Yeah, it's just funny seeing that pop up on the timeline the other day or something. It's like, oh, three years ago. T- mm. I know what it was. It was on Twitter. It's like, three years ago today, Deep Breath aired. And I was thinking, three years? Blimey. So he's already gone. Mm. It, you know what I mean, it just sort of brought it home that even in those three years, he'd already been and gone. And it just didn't feel like a long time, if you know what I mean. But, um, yeah. but yeah, yeah. like you said, at least they pick things up in the last series. So, yeah. Yeah. So... Capaldi's exit in the Christmas special. I'm wondering how far they're going to go into it before we get to the regeneration, because I'm hoping because of that reason, because we haven't seen the best of Capaldi across all three (laughs) of his series. I'm hoping that they make the most of him in the Christmas special and they don't sort of regen early. Um, I'm hoping he's going to go through to pretty much the end. And then we're going to have a little bit at the end with Jody, but yeah, it sounds like it. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like it. Cause I hope so. Cause the whole, First Doctor, David Bradley, and I think they will be a really good team uh, together. So I'm hoping we get the majority of the episode with those two. Yeah, I'm yeah. going to say I'm hoping. Yeah, I'm hoping it's Capaldi Central because they are throwing a lot in there. I've seen some of the support cast that are going to be playing um, Polly and Ben as well. Of, uh-huh. of, so I don't know how big their role in it, but there seems to be a lot going on. And like you said, I want him to go to to, to have a good send off so you know like lots of capaldi as well as all this other stuff obviously yeah Yeah. but we shall see a few months off yet don't don't get your christmas scarf and woolies out yet (laughs) (laughs) yeah we are a few months out so yeah anyways should we land this old girl yeah land her mate let's get into the news First up, our old buddy, Mr. Mm. RTD. Yeah. Old Russ. Love this man. Love old Russ, don't you? I love him. Yeah. Yeah. Old Russ. Uh, Quite fittingly, uh, he's been awarded a Lifetime Achievement Award. Oh, wow. At the Edinburgh International Television Festival. Or ITF. Whatever you're I don't it, think but. I'd know what you meant if you could, if you said, "Oh, good old Ike." I don't know if I'd immediately connect that, but yeah, 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know why I tried to acronym that, but uh, yes, Mr. Russell T. Davis has been, uh, he's he's bagged um, uh, the Lifetime Achievement Award at the festival. So I think um, he got awarded something like this similar, didn't he? Is it last year or the year before? I was thinking that, yeah. He yeah. got something very similar to a different festival. I don't, I'm not sure. I don't think it was Edinburgh. It might have been somewhere in Wales. Something in Wales or London because he, he also he did. did a, I can't think what it was. Yeah. Yeah, because I think he did a Q&A as well and did some other stuff there which looked really good um but absolutely deserved and um uh, he goes he russell said uh that he's worked with daleks casanova uh mm-hmm. with gays um penelope wilton children's programs documentaries quiz shows um uh worked in cardiff manchester all the different places um uh, he also said he's, he was a presenter on play school which i didn't was know. he i didn't yeah. know that no uh, uh, I've, he's been to Norway with, so he's basically like reeled off some of the stuff that he's very popular for and mm. also stuff that you wouldn't necessarily know and he just closes off to say that he loves his job and um, uh, he hopes that this is like aimed at sort of younger people coming up through the industry so he loves his job and hope that uh, everyone grows up to get into the industry and that they love their job too so um, uh, that was alongside BBC One being named Channel of the Year so obviously the two things are kind of linked. He did all the stuff with Doctor Who on the BBC on BBC One, mm-hmm. got his award. So this is really cool. I love it when people like the Moth and Russell T Davis and producing stuff pick up these awards because I know it's not all about Doctor Who. You know they're not getting this because of a Doctor Who thing. It's for their work in general as writers and TV and so mm-hmm. on. But it does highlight the fact that we do have some of the industry's best people working on Doctor Who. So it's great when they pick up these awards and stuff. So. Big congrats to uh, to RTD for bagging his lifetime achievement award. Mm, I'm, I'm I'm really pleased for Russell because I, I do I'm a big fan of Russell and I, and I like a lot of his work and uh, and he does when you look back like you said at that list there's things like that Casanova which I completely forgotten about. Don't know if you've ever seen it, but it's really good. Um, starring David Tennant. Yeah, what's good? Um, just mm-hmm. for you to go with Doctor stuff and um, so yeah, really well deserved I think. Uh, well done, Russell. Right in other news. Uh, the Doctor Who Appreciation Society have got an amazingly cool uh, signed script by Peter Capaldi up um, for uh, auction. And it's all on in behalf of the Syrian refugees in North London, um, which is uh, um, very close to Peter Capaldi's heart. So this is really cool. So if you go over to the Doctor Appreciation Society site, you'll, you'll see uh, some more information on how you can try and get your hands on this script. So it's a read-through script for Listen. And basically Capaldi's, because he's a bit of a an artist on the side, isn't he? He's mm-hmm. always doing little doodles and drawings. I've seen lots of autographs where he's done stuff like this. But he's really gone to town on this. So on the front of the script, he's done an, an amazing how would you describe it like drawing of the doctor uh, obviously him as the doctor but um looking very scary i'd say it almost looks like something out of a tim burton yeah. cartoon doesn't it yeah, it's, it's a like really a cool drawing almost looks like a zombie yeah. doctor yeah 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 and then obviously he's he's done all this writing and signed it peter capaldi and, and all that sort of stuff so um it's a it's a great prize i believe there are some other prizes on there but this is the one that's um doctor who yeah, it's the main related. one. Yeah. It's the main one, isn't it? So, um, yeah, definitely worth heading over to the Doctor Who Appreciation Society website to try and uh, get your hands on this because it would be an amazing thing to have in your collection. I think you'd agree. I'd, I'd, I'd love to get this. Oh, I'd be amazing, yeah. If so you, um, cool. Yeah, yeah, if you land on the um, the DWA 
uh, AS, uh, website, there's a there's a big banner near the top where you can click and have a look at it. Mm. Um, and then the actual auction itself is over on eBay. And uh, there's a few days left. Um, so if you're listening to this on podcast day on Friday, then you've probably got a couple of days because it ends on the 4th of September. Yeah, I was going to say not too long, is it? But yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's not cheap. There are some great bids uh, going for it. At the moment, the, the bid is at uh, 1,385 squids. Blimey. And there's been over 60 bids so far. So it sounds, well, it, I was going to say it sounds expensive. It is expensive, um, but it's for a great cause. It's um, And it's nice that it's one of Capaldi's um, sort of, yeah, like you say, close to his heart charities as well. So yeah. it looks amazing. It looks really, really good. And he's doodled everywhere on it and he's made notes and signed it it's i think it'll be a great piece to have if you're the, if you're this kind of collector if you if you're the sort of collector that doesn't mind spending quite a few quid on the rarer stuff and, and the bigger stuff then this is a great one to have it is i've just yeah i've just like you yeah, i've just clicked on the auction there's some other great stuff in there as well this is a um a 12th doctor figure and peter Capaldi designed it and put a load of writing on the front of the box and stuff and there's other little bits like dwas roundel badges and things so yeah it's pretty cool well we're heading over and have a look indeed just to see yeah don't know if i've got a couple of grand spare but man i'd love that script <laughs> yeah I have to start looking down the side of the sofa i think yeah that's right yeah <laughs> might have to smash open the my son's the saving jar yeah savings jar he doesn't need it not yet no that that's gonna rock <laughs> it up there it's gonna be that's gonna be a couple of sale by the it end is. of the auction oh sure. at least yeah. yeah yeah there you go you can get a signed script by mr capaldi Mm. that's going to do for news as we said quite light at the moment yeah we have got one piece of merch though uh which our dalek friend is on his i can see him coming up the garden path at the, at the moment as we speak he's getting quite popular as our dalek tag you know I don't, who's i've had a couple of people mention him in tweets and messages to me over the last week so he's, he's getting a bit of a he's been getting a bit of a name for himself this guy you better get him in don't oh, tell him though we don't want him getting don't want to get him an ego. No, we don't. Let's get him in there. See what he's got. <laughs> Match corner. Match corner. Match corner. I don't know whether to be impressed or disgusted. It's a bit rubbish, but it's pretty. It's very pretty. <laughs> he's just dropped it and gone into reverse. <laughs> he's not impressed with this, is he? <laughs> no. One item on the tray. I can't yeah. stand this, but I know you I love know, it. I know, I know. As soon as I saw it, I thought of you. I thought, oh my gosh, yeah. Gary's going to hate this. I thought it was a completely <laughs> daft and I'm useless. I'm getting you one for Christmas, but yeah. <laughs> I thought it was daft and useless when they oh. used this in the uh, in the episode itself. And this <laughs> is, I know you're going to get this. I know you are. Well, I don't know that I am actually. It's weird. Go on, go on say what it is, and then I'll, I'll go into it. Ah, <laughs> oh, crikey. So if we remember back to a couple of years back, the Christmas special, what was it called? The Return of Dr. Mysterio. Mysterio. There was a scene where uh, the the Doctor's um, uh, having a conversation with, what's the character's name? Her name was something. Oh, God knows. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he, she gave him this little squeezy toy thing uh called mr huffle <laughs> and uh it was like a truth and lie thing you know or you know, whatever so that was the scene and it was fairly ridiculous but i think i'm i mean i'm quite surprised it's taken a long time 
yeah. for this to materialize. And it's, yeah, anyways, cut a long story short, you can now pick up a Mr. Huffle replica. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Take it from there, man. I've got no interest in this one. I knew you wouldn't. No, it's funny because you said, oh, I bet you were going to get it. And funny enough, I think, because I remember when we reviewed the episode at the time, I liked that scene and you hated it. So I think if this had come out after, you know, close to the episode, I probably would have been like, oh, yeah, I'll grab him. He's really <laughs> funny. But we're talking a year or two <laughs> since the episode aired. They finally got him out and I've completely lost all interest in it now. Do you know what I mean? I'm looking at it thinking, well, it looks rubbish. It looks ridiculous. Yeah, um, it there is still, it, <laughs> So it's one of those things. I think if it had come out near the episode, I would have been like, oh, yes, grab me one of those. Uh, but I don't know. I don't have any interest in it at all now. Because yeah. <laughs> that just feels really out of date. I don't know what's taking it so long. Maybe they had get copyright for it so thing is it's um it's not even like um if you want to get it in the uk you have to order it from a australian website isn't it pop culture i think these are the only ones who got it in the minute yeah um, popculture.com um who are an australian australian so they ship worldwide website. yeah they do they they actually i think they've got quite a good uh relationship with um whoever the international shippers are and stuff because they do advertise on their site quite a lot that they ship to the uk for low uh low shipping costs and so on but um so they do and they they do um stick all their prices you can change it to to pounds on that website as well from australian dollars so i think it's 12 yeah it's 12 quid oh it's not a bad price then and then with the shipping though it takes it up to 20 so it's just over a few pence over 20 pounds to ship to yeah. the UK. So it's not I wouldn't I wouldn't pick this up for a pound, let alone pay twenty <laughs> quid to get it shipped all the way from Australia. You must be mad. You're not gonna oh. order this for twenty quid, are you? Well, I don't, I've seen, do you know what? I saw it come up on that the merchandise side that we both love and um a lot of people were loving it. They were loving it. And I, as I said, I think I would have been one of those if it had been uh, a year ago. But uh, <laughs> oh, no, I, I don't know, mate. A lot of people seem to be loving it, so maybe they will. But um, I'm going to agree with you this time that, yeah, it's kind of had its moment for me as Mr. Huffle. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. If I saw it in the shop, like I said, if it was, if I saw it and in, walked into the shop and saw <laughs> it, I'd probably be tempted because you know what I'm like. But uh, no, I'm not, not going to splash out 20 quid to yeah. get it from Oz yeah uh it is up it's not available now it's pre-order it's not available until approximately december oh uh, and it, so from pop culture so that's spelled pop and then c-u-l-t-c-h-a so culture popculture.com.au yeah i've never ordered from there myself but they are a website that's popped up many a time yes. as i've been searching over the years so i do believe they're pretty good but uh yeah i, I don't know i've never ordered from them but yeah, they're um they're apparently pretty good, but uh, yeah, I've heard they're good. Yeah, and I would assume, I would assume that it will pop up on FP International soon, and probably FP dot com. You say you've seen it on there already, have you? No, no, I haven't seen it on there already. No, okay. no, I just wouldn't be surprised. Um, I don't know though. It's funny because there's a lot of things now, like the TARDIS lamp, the lava lamp. Mm-hmm. That um, a, there was a lot of interest in that, and you can still only order it from abroad. And some some of these merch, especially if they're a bit specialised like this, you know, they're not going to sell millions. I don't know. It maybe it won't because we seem to be sort of losing the <laughs> we seem to be losing our grip on the merch side of things. So it's possible it won't 
pop up on UK sites. I don't know. Because that lava lamp still hasn't, and that's a lot more popular. So, don't know. Don't know. No. But yeah, if you want it, pop culture. There you go. Mr. Huffle. Bloody thing. <laughs> right, buddy. Right. Jamie! <laughs> what are we doing this week? <laughs> I thought you were going to do an Australian accent there, mate. <laughs> <laughs> no, we better lay off the accents because we get in trouble, don't we? we do. um, well, it, <laughs> this week it's uh, the second Doctor's story, uh, <laughs> The Enemy of the World. I don't know where you stand, Mr. Kent, but you and this salamander are obviously on opposite sides. That at least is clear. But which side is good? Which side is bad? And why should I interfere? Well, you're the only man who can help save the world. But isn't that what Salamander's trying to do? Don't you understand, uh, just Salamander? Jimmy, you're unusually quiet. What do you think? Well, to save the world, I well, it sounds grand, but... Oh, we couldn't turn our back on a challenge like this, Doctor. Well, at least I know you wouldn't. We don't know anything about these people. Bastard saved the line just wounded because of it. Oh, but Jamie, well, she didn't... didn't. She was. Look, we're right about Salamander. It won't take you long to find out for yourselves. Not long at all. No. Just two hours. <laughs> uh, more than that. Well, yeah. Nearly three. And it's six-parter, this, isn't it? It is a six-parter. Yeah. Yeah. So it won't take you long at all, he said. Mm-hmm. The Enemy of the World came to our screens originally 1967, Christmas. Good Lord. 23rd of December. That's a cool time to have some Doctor Who on, isn't it? Yeah. Do you know, I just realised I didn't realise it went... Over the Christmas into the New Year. Yeah, finished originally. up in the Jan. Yeah. Yeah. Which is cool. Yeah, six-parter. Mm-hmm. What day? 25. Yeah, 25 minutes each, roughly. And uh, it was uh, written by David Whittaker and directed by Barry Letts. Mm. Good old Barry. Good old Baz. <laughs> uh, yes. Second Doctor, Jamie and Victoria, and a uh, bunch of other people. Quite a big supporting cast in this one. Uh, it is a massive cast, and all the way through, I kept thinking, you know, trying to remember the names of all these guys because, you know, how bad we are with names. I was thinking, God, who are all these people? Just and then another bunch come in later on. And I was thinking, Oh God, <laughs> yeah. never going to remember all their names. But yes, yeah, a massive cast in this. Yeah, and we have Trout, and obviously play, playing two characters: the Doctor and Ramon Salamander. Mm. All that stuff. Uh, yeah, so story's pretty simple. Um, <laughs> hilariously starts with the doctor wanting to have a bit of a skinny dip in the oh, sea. Brilliant. At the beginning. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I actually thought he was butt naked. I had to rewind it, but now he's still got his long johns on. Hasn't he? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. yeah. Cause it's black and white. It's hard to tell. <laughs> it's hard yeah. To tell yeah. <laughs> um, and then they come across people wanting to kill them. The, the adventure starts. They find out that there's a guy that looks exactly like the doctor, mm-hmm. uh, Mr. Salamander, who is a very, Come on to this later, but very James Bond-esque villain. And uh, the Doctor and the TARDIS team get sort of swept away in this political uh, corruption story uh, with Salamander uh, causing natural disasters, blackmailing other world leaders to sort of... Over- it's, it's a very typical James Bond thing. It's like this evil sort of... Uh, laughing villain wants to take over the world basically and it's very political and yeah what do you reckon to this one mate 
Because yeah, it's very it's a bit James Bondy, is it? It's more James Bondy than Doctor Who, isn't it? It's quite an unusual Doctor Who story mm. in a way, because there's no sort of alien or monster threat particularly. Yeah. Um so do you know what? For that, I for a lot of reasons actually I quite like this one. In fact, I like it an awful lot. Because <clears throat> obviously this got um this this was missing for years, wasn't it? We only had like episode three mm-hmm. for a long, 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 long time, and then they they found it and released it alongside um, the Web of Fear, wasn't it? The two came out together. That's right. Uh, newly yeah. discovered. And it was amazing because for years we just had this part three on, um, what was this, what was it called? There used to be a DVD set called Lost in Time okay. or something. Yeah. yeah. And, in, and so you could watch episode three for a long time. And just watching that standalone, not having any of the other story, I remember thinking, it seemed really boring because it just seemed to be nothing happening in this story. If you mm-hmm. judged it on that one episode, they're just in a kitchen for half an it, half an hour of, of it. So yeah, to finally get the rest of the story, uh, it's, it seems like a bit of a, a gem to me because when it's all put into context, um, I think it's a great story. This one, I, I really enjoy watching it. It's a, it's really nice to see Pat, you know, playing these two roles and, um, seems to be really enjoying it. Um, it's, yeah, six episodes. I, I would say it's a fairly decent pace. Um, I didn't find myself getting bored at any point. Okay. Um, and um, yeah, no. So for me, it's uh, I, I give it a big thumbs up. I'm just so glad that the rest of it got found because you know just watching episode three for years on this DVD did didn't do a lot for me. But I can quite happily sit and watch this six parter. I think it 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 um, flows really nicely. So yeah, it's a it's a big thumbs up for me this one. What about you? Do you like it? Yeah, I I quite like it. Yeah. I quite like it, yeah. Um, I like it a little bit more on a second viewing. Okay. I watched it last night. It was the second time I've seen it, and I liked it a little bit more. Um, But yeah, just touching on, the, it doesn't feel, it, it's weird, this one, because it doesn't feel very Doctor Who. It, no, it doesn't, no. Not really. It feels like a, like a, a classic old spy story. Um, and we're probably going to mention this a lot, but it does feel like a, a really old spy sort of George Lazenby type mm. of um, Bond type of story, but just featuring the Doctor, if that makes sense. It doesn't feel like Doctor Who featuring, you know, that type of story. It feels very weird. It's, um, I think because there's two reasons for that. One, it, it it's written and directed in a way that feels really... Uh, sort of old Sunday afternoon TV. It doesn't have many. There's like the odd fight scene, but it's over in a split second, these scenes. It's just... Yeah, there's a there's a strange edit, isn't there? There's, when they, <laughs> they have a fight over a, um, a kitchen trolley at one point, and I, I did wonder <laughs> what happened. It, it seems to suddenly cut to... Yeah. They, they yeah. sort of tell you what's happened rather than showing it on screen, which is quite strange. That's right, yeah. Um, yeah. So there's a lot of sort of guns being pointed, but then somebody just snatches the gun and the person holding it faints for no reason. <laughs> and that's it. It's that, that's the action scene done or that that's it. Yeah. So it feels um, kind of weird. But the other thing is uh, Pat Troughton is in it a lot as Salamander or mm-hmm. Pat Troughton's in it a lot as the doctor playing Salamander, but he's not in it very much at all, just as the doctor. So I think that's another contributing factor as well, where it doesn't really feel like Doctor Who that much because he's hardly in it as the doctor like the beginning yeah. and the end he's, he is but throughout the majority of it it's just salamander which is not a bad thing because he plays that alter that um so that additional character very well very very well 
Um, but yeah, don't get me wrong. I, I really liked it. Really liked it. It's um, it just doesn't feel very Doctor Who. Like if I'm in the mood for watching Doctor Who, which is admittedly a lot, um, it's not one that I automatically reach for because I think oh, it doesn't really feel. I would much rather watch something like The Web of Fear or you know The War Machines or something. Oh, sorry, mm. um, the, the War Games. The War Games. Yeah. So it's because The War Games is very similar. It's what it, it almost feels like when you have. I don't know if anybody else feels like this, but for me, when you have more than four episodes in Classic Who, it almost starts to feel like its own mini-series. It starts to feel mm. like a mini-serial. And obviously the War Games is very much like that. Yeah, you know, yeah. Being ten parts. So for this one, it does feel like it's like a mini-serial, uh, you know, of a, of a kind of sci-fi story. It's got hardly any sci-fi elements in it, really. No, not really um, at all, is it? No. No alien stuff, no sci-fi stuff. It's very... It's almost pedestrian in a way, and it just happens to feature <laughs> the Doctor. So, yeah, it's. Uh, it's I couldn't it's remember if I couldn't remember if when he because I've watched. I think this is the third time I've watched it. So I watched it because uh, do you remember all the excitement of when the rumors started circulating about this big launch at midnight on iTunes, and then there was going to be a physical copy later, and mm-hmm. nobody really knew if it's true that they'd found these two things. Um, and but I think I seem to remember you stayed stayed up to midnight, didn't you? I can't remember, but I remember you tweeting at the time stuff about like you know this is actually happening and or immediately downloaded or something, didn't you? Am I remembering right? Um, there was quite a big excitement about this whole midnight release for these. That's right. Oh no, you're, I think you're thinking of the underwater menace. Oh, am I? All oh, right, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. this is going. But do you remember? Do you remember when this is all kicking off, or was it? before you got into who i can't remember now um well i was into who at this point but i wasn't really yeah. podcasting or tweeting about it this was back at oh, the end okay. of 2013 when they announced that they had, they had found everything oh right okay yeah it was quite a big thing mm-hmm. i remember there was you know it's like real big buzz and no one could really believe it until until it all went live at midnight and um you know people were downloading and being like gosh i never thought i'd get to see like the web of fear and 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 the enemy of the world i never thought i'd get to see these because it was um you know these were missing for so long mm-hmm. um and where were they found nigeria wasn't it nigeria of all places in a place yeah nigeria in a television relay station storage room in nigeria yeah. i mean that's just incredible so we never got to the bottom of why the because one of the episodes of web of fear is still missing I can't remember which one now. And we never got to the bottom of whether they found it and it was too badly damaged to use or whatever, but we never found out. Because there's no extras on these at all, is there? They're Nothing. Vanilla no. releases. They yeah. were sort of just put out. I think people thought they might do special editions of them later, but they ne- they haven't so far. Um, but yeah, no, for me, I'll just, I just, I, I really enjoy this, mate. I, I think it's a good, a good story. You are right. It doesn't have, it doesn't feel like a Doctor Who story, but in the same way, it's one that I enjoy a bit like, um, Black Orchid, you know, there's no sort of alien element in that, but if I'm in the right mood for it, I love Black Orchid. I know Peter Davison hates it, but, <laughs> yeah. but, uh, I love Black Orchid cause it just feels a bit different. And, yeah. um, and obviously I do, you know, just having more Troughton you just, is always a plus point because there's so much of his still missing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's good to get double Pat, if you like, in this. Um, I do agree with you, though. I would have liked a little bit more of the Doctor because the scenes he's in as the Doctor are really charming. Like that that beach scene at the start <laughs> is brilliant. I love episode one. Mm-hmm. You know, we're actually on real location. Um, there, You know, Pat's just messing around, wanting to go to the beach and... Jamie and Zoe, uh, Jamie and 
Victoria, sorry, are just like, you know, what's he doing? Um, <laughs> it's a great scene. I don't know, did you notice something odd about the TARDIS? Like the door, it, it, the, the door with the police box sign uh-huh. in it is on the wrong side and also it's been painted over. <laughs> I just think it's really weird. It's got no, it's as if they put the door on the wrong side, but it's not even got the sign on it. It's, it's, it's all a bit weird. Next time you watch it, just, just have a look. Because I kept thinking, what's going on with the TARDIS prop there? It's as if they've hastily put it together. <laughs> mm. um, yeah, I don't know. I just wondered if you noticed it. It does look a bit odd. I'll have to get. I'll have to ask Clayton Hickman next time I'm on Twitter. He'll know. But uh, yeah, it's not right. It almost looks like the film's reversed, actually, because it's on the wrong side where the writing should be. Right. Yeah, it's always by, really, because you don't see it. You see it in... At the beginning it's just of when they come one. out of it. Yeah, it's just right. when they come out of it. But it's weird. But the, the reason I mention it is because the, the writing is there, but you can barely see it. So it's not got the proper panel on it. I don't know. It's just something weird going on with the TARDIS at the start. But as it was on location, it may have just been like, um, you know, they brought the wrong door or a door that wasn't right. I don't know. Something's wrong with it anyway. Um, okay. But it's just lovely to see the TARDIS and those guys actually on a real location. I think I wish there was more location work in it actually to be to be honest but yeah but it's good I, as i said it um it rattles along at quite a nice pace i think did you find yourself getting bored at any point being a six-parter um no not really no no i mean it was it's not it's not a bad watch as in you feel like you have to reach for your phone and like a wee bit mm. you know when you reach your phone start looking at twitter or whatever but yeah. for this one yeah it's i think the direction held it in just enough to to keep you sort of intrigued because it is very it's one of those old classics where it's very simplistic in Mm. its direction and it's you know cinematography it's just um you know as it's as expected for for an old sort of uh, second doctor story where all the scenes are set up you have the actors come in the camera follows them around you go on to the next one there are there aren't any sort of experimental stuff going on the only things that i would um, so in terms of yeah story how it plods along I don't really find myself bored at all really I mean it's uh, yeah, uh, I think because I was just waiting and waiting for the doctor to come to pop back in and do something you know yeah. it sort of kept you watching um, but at the same time I was really intrigued by his salamander character because you know, he it's such a great contrast because you know as you mentioned where at the beginning where the doctor's going off for a swim and he's just very random and funny mm-hmm. and you know he's just not really sort of into doing much he just wants to mess around for a bit and then when we see him at certain bits as well um you know where um uh, somebody confronts him in the records room and he pretends to be salamander for a little while and yeah uh, oh i said yeah and uh victoria goes to give him a backhander i think that's right and then he sort of switches and he's like no no it's me you know <laughs> so it's those little moments they're really cool and then in contrast the salamander character is very he's just got that real sort of nasty sinister vibe you know he just nails mm. all that stuff so that was what kept me watching that sort of waiting for Troughton to come back in as the doctor but also being intrigued by the salamander character but not really bored so much and the direction was fairly standard as you'd expect so. Yeah, it was okay. I mean, it was a little bit flying places, but it's not too bad. Um, it's, it's fairly well directed. Um, there's nothing crazy I going on, is there? It's just no. There's nothing crazy <clears throat> going on, and also the. I suppose if there was one thing that led it down for me, it would be the cliffhangers. Um, oh, right. Are yeah. quite dull. Yeah. Uh, it's surprising actually, because for a story that's got so much going on, um, 
yeah, the cliffhangers are quite weak. That's the only sort of one of the few negatives I've got about it, really. Like um, when it ends, you're not sort of thinking, oh, God, why are they going to get out of that? Sometimes it feels like there weren't any cliffhangers really written into it, which is, you know, not a bad thing. But it, it also, yeah, you know, it doesn't make it like, right, I must must watch the next episode now. Like, I don't know about you, but I watched it in uh, in two episodes each. So I watched two, two and two. So I spread it out over three days. So I could have watched three. I just didn't have the time. But yeah. but um, but I just watched it into two episodes at a time, which worked really nicely, actually. I mean, yeah. I probably could have sat through all six quite easily. I, I don't think I would have found it too hard going. But uh, it's just, you know, because I was spreading it out over the week, I watched it in two, which worked really nicely, two episodes a day. Yeah, I watched all six last night. Oh, did you? Okay. Yeah. yeah. And that wasn't too bad. Like I said, I didn't. I didn't reach my phone and start drifting away or anything. It was, um, and that's mainly due to, to Troutman really. Uh, yeah. Although it, I do think the supporting cast are quite good in this. On okay. the whole. Yeah. yeah. I was going to yeah. say, we'll obviously get onto them in, in a bit, but I, I think overall they're pretty decent because, um, they, they, they're, they're strong enough to keep my interest in it when Troutman's not on screen. Mm-hmm. Let's put that way. Yeah. Yeah. And talking of direction and stuff like that, I know it was very early days, in sort of television making and so on. But it would have been nice to have seen a bit more um, Trout and playing both parts together on the same... I know there was... Do you know what I mean? Because we, we only had it at the end, didn't we? They have like a scuffle yeah, with the TARDIS at the end. That's right. Uh, but it would have been nice to have seen a, a bit more of a to-in and throw-in between those two in the same scene. I would have liked them to have confronted each other a bit early on in the story. Yeah, because that's you know. really good at the end, isn't it? And it's done yeah. really well for the time as well. The split screen is is really good for the time, but it's very brief. It's very brief, um, yeah. Yeah, I think this is why I wish there was more extras on the DVD, because apparently there were more scenes of them together planned, but the, the, the camera jammed or something. They were, according to Wikipedia, um, the camera jammed, and so the sort of planned scenes of them together in the same scene mm. were kind of dropped apart from that last one. Um, so that's a shame because, yeah, I agree with you. It would have been great to see a bit more of the Doctor and Salamander on screen together because, yeah, this is that end scene's just great. It's just so brief. Hmm. It's really, yeah, it sounds a real sort of ball ache to get those shots done as well. Um, mm-hmm. Just reading that same uh, section earlier when I was doing some research on it, they um, they filmed him in costume as the Doctor and then they rewound. So they filmed it with him and then they masked off the camera lens so you couldn't see half of the <laughs> the screen then they rewound the tape he went and got changed into his other costume and then they filmed again and they masked off the other side and then they so it sounds like a real that's what i mean it's a real technical challenge to do that but mm. you know the old bbc kit at the time the bloody camera yeah. jam didn't it so they <laughs> uh yeah that shot the bits but um it, but it worked really well, though. It's pretty much, I mean, if we're talking back, when was it, 1960, at the end Seven. of 1967, when this was being made. 68, yeah. yeah. And it's seamless. You know, although they've only got a couple of shots with them two in the same scene, mm. it's absolutely seamless. It works really well. I'm just wishing that we've had more of that because I yeah, think Troughton would have had a yeah. ball, you know, going to and fro and you know, mm. having these scenes where he's playing both characters in the same scene, I mean. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, it is what it is. I'd love to know if he enjoyed doing it, actually, because it must have been more, you know, it's, it's, it's demanding more of him 
as an actor, isn't it? And also more of his time, like I said, having to keep getting changed. He's not got to wear the same costume. So I mm-hmm. wonder if he enjoyed doing it. He probably enjoyed having something different to do, but whether he enjoyed the actual technical side of it and stuff, I don't know. Like you said back then, quite difficult to do these things. It might have been quite stressful. I don't know. But that's why I said I'd love it if there was like a making of on this mm-hmm. um, to sort of get a bit more background into what it was like. Because, yeah, I don't know. It might have been, like you said, nowadays they could do that <laughs> flip of a switch it'd be so easy but yeah, yeah. the the effort they must have gone to back then to do it mm-hmm. um it's something else isn't it yeah yeah so what did you think to uh, so there was another effect as well that they used in this and i'm hoping it's an effect otherwise it was done extremely well but there was a couple of scenes where they were filmed just out in the park like they're sitting on a bench or stuff like that. Oh, that screen! And it looks like the screen was a video playing of yeah the, of the 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 background, the landscape in the background. But it was a giant screen that they were sitting in. So it was like a set, but with uh, the the outside shots on a big. Did you? That is a screen, isn't it? I'm not going crazy. Well, I, I, no, no, I, 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 you're not going crazy because I had the same thing. I was thinking, what a bizarre way to do things. I don't think I've ever noticed that in Doctor Who before um yeah it's it's like they're sat in front of a big it's like they've got the set and then behind it is a big um cinema screen yeah uh, with the action plank it's like but it's something very simple isn't it isn't it like jamie walking towards them down the path the forest then all of a sudden he walks onto set yeah and uh i'm wondering what the reason is for that because they did do a fair few location shots didn't they yeah they could have found a park somewhere but also to go to that effort of showing him like he could have just walked on the set, it would have had the same yeah. effect. Like the, the they went to all that effort just to show him walking towards them. Yeah, and the thing is, be, because of the again the technology at the time, the mm. picture's not that crisp on the screen that's behind them. You can tell yeah. that it's uh, that it's a bit of footage that's being played. Although it's quite subtle, there's no moving stuff going on. It's just like a few mm. branches swaying and. Yeah, you see Jamie walking up the path or wherever this place is. But it seems to me that if they've gone to the trouble of taking a camera out to a location to film that, why not just take Fraser Hines with them and just film him, you know? Yeah, and, and just, I, I, I thought the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's just like, why? Do, or, or just insert the film shot of him walking towards them and then cut to the set like they would normally. It's, it's, it is bizarre. I, yeah. I did find that quite a curious um effect if you like yeah, yeah. i'm glad i'm, yeah. I'm not yet because i thought to myself no, that is a no. screen isn't it I'm, yeah. i was actually talking to myself last night while i was watching it and thinking i said this to myself before but that is a screen i'm yeah. sure of it it's not i'm not going crazy but yeah so some interesting um some techniques with this and some pretty good shots as well there's a scene where salamander goes into this they built this wonderful lift prop where it's like this big capsule that comes out and then mm. it rotates and he gets into it. And then you see like this model shot of it going down all these levels down into the bottom of the earth. And yeah, that was really good. That really, that's got that lovely sort of nostalgic Buck Rogers type of model shots. If you like, you know, those it's really a nice model shot. Yeah. Really, really old sci-fi programs that were on like the Buck Rogers sort of thing where you can tell it's a model for sure, but it just, it's done really well. Yeah, I like the model shot. I know they, I know they sort of keep keep using it again and again, um, but it is, it does look nice because it's, it's sort of, yeah, they put little lights on the model and stuff, and you know, it's not just like a box. You know, you can tell there's effort gone in. Yeah. Um, and also, like you said, that capsule he gets inside, I was almost, 
I was thinking he looks like it, you know, you can just imagine that would just collapse under the weight. <laughs> I don't know what it's made from, but it, it looks good, but it also doesn't look that sturdy. Like it takes forever to come into the room. Mm-hmm. Obviously someone's pushing it from behind and then Pat has to <laughs> sort of get into it. Um, but it does, it, yeah, it's, it's, it does look quite good for the time. Yeah. It does look pretty good. Yeah. And I think, I think it's more the sound effect. If they'd have muted mm-hmm. the sound or overdubbed the sound, because when he's climbing oh, it's up, it's a strange sound, isn't it? It's yeah. like a phone or something. Yeah. Yeah. When he's climbing up the steps and going into it, you can tell it's big hollow MDF made. That's it. You know, <laughs> stuff. So I think if they'd have changed the sound effect, maybe had like a metallic sound or something would have been all right, but, but it looks wonderful. That was huge as well. It's like a full size lift that they made and it comes out on these little tracks and everything and then it yeah it climbs in and then it rotates around and that must have been like, whoever did like the set design and prop design that must have been like their you know crowning piece of work yeah it does take it takes about five minutes that scene as well doesn't mm-hmm. it because he he spends about two minutes shutting all the doors <laughs> about a minute switching off all the monitors and then another five minutes for the thing to get in the room and then he gets in it and then yeah. we get that lovely model shot. And um, I'm not criticizing it because it, d- d- it does work well. But um, yeah, I was at one point I was thinking, what's what's happening here? Because the, the sound effect goes on for quite a while, doesn't it? It's like, <laughs> do, do, it's almost like a reversing lorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was one thing that was quite typically sort of naive about this um, story as well, which was just 60s sci-fi in general, I think which was really funny to me. And that is every time you needed to communicate with somebody, whether it was on a phone or a screen or whatever, (laughs) you had to flick and push like a million buttons to get it to work. So (laughs) under every sort of monitor, there was like a half a dozen switches. Like, you know, the big old, (laughs) those big old um, up and down switches that were made of like, you know, they were proper metal and stuff. They made really loud clunking noises. Mm. So when you wanted to speak to somebody, it was like, (laughs) beep, beep, and it was like, <laughs> uh, come on. Yeah. But that was just one of, that's part of its charm though. That sort of naive, you know, people think because it's sci-fi, everything's really advanced and you need like a dozen switches to get it to work. And yeah, it's just brilliant. I was going to say, cause it's set in, um, set in Australia, 2018. So set in next, next year. So it's just really funny to think that, you know, that's how they envisaged 2018, all these big television monitors and switches. Yeah. <laughs> Although we did see some cracking 60s, uh, 70s decor in some of the rooms, like the, Ooh, um, yeah. you know, uh, Salamander's Palace, for Palace, example, yeah. wherever it is or wherever he's living. Yeah. Yeah. And also um, uh, Giles Kent, you know, the, the guy who we have the nice little twist at the end that he was mm. actually working with Salamander. His place had some beautiful wallpaper and, <laughs> floral chairs and everything it was yeah very well, much well you never know time. every everything comes around that might well come back in fashion by 2018 you never know next year could um, be a revival mate yeah, yeah. crazy wallpaper think, <laughs> crazy wallpaper um i was gonna say though did you think um did you just say about the fact that we you know we get a twist in his character at the end that is one thing i liked about this story uh-huh. is um i was never quite sure who was good or bad even salamander to a point because um when he goes down into that little basement and then you see that he's got all these people kept down there and he's like bringing them food and, mm-hmm. and you suddenly think, Oh, what's, so what's going on here then? Cause I was like, cause I couldn't remember 
Uh, I was thinking, because uh, at one point I was thinking he was an alien. I, I really couldn't remember what was going on in the second half of the story. So, so I was thinking, oh, is he good? Is he is he actually, is he trying to take over the world for his people? And, you know, he's keeping like, I just couldn't remember what was going on. So there's, you know, there's quite a good little twist at that point where you, mm. you get to see another side of his character. And he almost seems like quite a nice man uh, in that scene, doesn't he? So he's been evil and poisoning people and killing people. Uh-huh while he's on the earth then he goes down and he's got these guys down there that sort of worship him and he's like bringing them food and he's like don't worry we'll be able to go go above ground soon and all this and i'm thinking oh maybe he's not bad maybe he's a good guy and then he's doing all this radiation thing and you realize he's just tricking them all along yeah then he yep. batters poor old um what's the name of that guy he takes to the surface oh yes um Badorin or something like that um batters yep. him uh, so yeah, you quickly realise he's not a good guy, but but I like that. There's some good twists, and I must admit, I didn't see the twist with uh, Kent coming either. No, you know when it when it when it's revealed that him and Salamander were in it all along, uh, I didn't see that coming at all. Uh, so I thought that was a good twist. So the things like that were enough to keep me sort of invested in the story, if you like. Yeah, that's what I was saying earlier. It's mm. not really a boring watch because the because I think that's where it benefits from having six parts because. You know, the character progression is really good from the very beginning because you start to learn a bit more about Salamander, like you say. Is he mm. just an evil tyrant or is he? Is there a sort of more of a backstory to him and he's not so bad, but then oh, we find out he is really bad. And then we have the security guard, uh, the head of security. What's his name? Um, well, uh, the guy who's desperate to go with him. Uh, no, the sort of, you know, the guy with the, the oldest chap with the glasses. Oh, Bruce. Bruce, is that him? Bruce, yeah. Yeah, so he's kind of second-guessing everything throughout the story as well. You know, he's working mm. for Salamander, but... And he turns out to be quite a good guy in the end, because the yeah. first few sort of episodes you think, he's this pompous, you know, <laughs> yeah. idiot, and, and he's quite sort of nasty and stuff. But he once he realises that he sort of, <clears throat> he almost feels like he's been sort of tricked into being a bit of this guy, don't you? He sort of realises Salamander's not who he said he is, and he kind of comes good at the end as well. So that's, you know, again, quite good. Yeah. So you have these sort of character progressions, and they change as well from beginning to end. So obviously, Kent, he changes towards the end. Um, We have Bruce, the security guard. He starts off a bit of a meanie, but then we realise that he's kind of got his own reservations about Salamander, but he doesn't want to voice them because, um, you know, he's not really his his place and nobody's got any proof anyway. And, mm. uh, that's another thing as well. It's this great detective story as well. Everyone's saying, Oh, he's bad. He's bad. We need to do this. And the doctor's like, well, no one's got any proof. All I'm hearing is you guys telling me he's bad. Yeah. But nobody can actually say, present anything to say, yeah, he definitely is. And the, that Bruce guy is pretty much the same train of thought. He's like, I've got my own reservations, but I've never seen anything bad. So, mm. you know, all that stuff. So it's, that's what keeps it going. I think over the six parts is the character progression and how they interact and how they how these things come to light over the six parts because often i'll say that oh this could have been a four-parter really or we didn't need that part but i think this one it benefits quite a lot because it does keep you guessing up to the sixth part what's going to happen to salamander how is he going to get out of it and Mm. when's the doctor going to intervene and is is bruce gonna you know come good and what's happening (laughs) with kent so yeah i think i think it's a good a very good character piece if nothing else there's a, I agree. I don't think, I think it works well as a six part. The only thing I would say is I think they could have, um, the resolution could have been spread out better because it does feel a bit rushed in the last part. And we don't really get to see, 
like um, a proper conclusion. So, for yes. example, yeah. we these guys that are being kept in this, you know, underground, we get told that they've survived because it all blows up, doesn't it? Um, right. Salamander blows mm-hmm. blows all the detonators underneath the earth. So we we get told that they've survived, and she's like, "Don't worry, we'll get them out somehow. We'll do it." But that's it. We never see them again. I just thought I would have been, you know, if they'd have just spread the story out a little bit more, we could have got to see them being freed, and it, you know, it wouldn't have taken much. Because um, the, I don't know, the ending feels slightly unsatisfying to me. Because you get Salamander drops out the TARDIS doors <laughs> into space, and then it's left on a cliffhanger, which leads into the next story, which is uh, Web of Fear, isn't it? Um, that's right. Yeah. I don't know. It just it it did feel a little bit rushed to me. The the last part and i think because you've got a nice pace six episodes it, i think we could have perhaps filled them in slightly better and, and just had a bit of a cleaner ending if you like because a lot of it's still going on when they leave the planet you know if you know what i mean mm-hmm. um but it's uh, but yeah it's a, again a bit of a minor gripe i just sort of kind of thought well we could have seen you know we could have seen those guys because we slightly get invested in them don't we when we get to see them and um Who's the guy who's desperate to come above ground? He's, it seems like he's been wanting to join oh. Salamander for ages. And then it's, sorry, it's Swan that actually joins Salamander. It's Swan that gets battered to death. Um, but there's another guy, isn't there? There's a young guy uh, who's desperate to go yes. above ground. So we, you know, and yeah. we get, and he's obviously got this, you know, companion, this girl that's with him. And she's saying to him, you know, be patient. He's doing his best. And so, we, you know, we get invested in the characters. I just would have liked to have seen, seen them sort of actually get freed at the end rather than just being told, oh, don't worry, we'll dig them out somehow. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because there's six parties. We've got enough time to do it. Um, so, yeah, it felt a little bit rushed to me at the end. Yeah, I read it. And it, it does end quite abruptly as well. So, it does, yeah. So we do see on the screen that they've survived down in the research lab whatever it is but we don't because i think at that point um what's her face says she's going to go and save them because there's like a tunnel that leads out to the park or something yeah yeah and uh but we never see them do that and then we have the scene in the tardis with salamander and the doctor Mm. but then it just ends doesn't it there's not there's not even the scene of the tardis dematerializing there's none of that it's just no the credits roll and and that's your lot because what happens to all his henchmen as well like what you know that funny strange guy um bennick does he get killed do we find out what happens to him i've forgotten now um but this i don't know there seems to be a few little sort of loose ends that are just left to get get resolved themselves i can't remember what happens to bennick like the last bit i can remember is when he's <laughs> uh, he's sort of racing around trying to get them inside the um, apartment block in, in episode five, I think. Oh, I can't remember what happens to him. Yes, I can't. Yeah, he, we just don't see him. So there's, Yeah, do you know what I mean? So there's a few little bits like that. I sort of thought, well, they, they could have been tied up a bit neater yes. um, over the six parts, I think. Yeah, I read you. So there's that final scene with him where he's he just walks off with the huff as he, as he normally does throughout the entire story. And then mm. that's it. We don't see him again. So it does end very abruptly. Yeah, he is very huffy, isn't he, Bennick, with yeah. his flat hair? <laughs> yeah, that kind of strange bowl cut, weird, yeah. long at the back, very short for it. Just again, very of its time. Like his costumes, don't, his costume don't do him any favors either. To be fair, <laughs> <laughs> it's um, yeah, it, it and it, and also it's a weird. He he plays a weird character as well because he you almost feel like he's in there 
because they needed um, somebody for the other actors to bounce off of because he doesn't really play a significant role in the story as such. Mm. The only sort of bit that he's in it where he's where he contributes to anything of significance is when poor old uh, dinner taster lady, Faria, is it? Oh, yeah, yeah. Is it Faria? Faria? She gets killed, doesn't she, in the street. She gets shot by one of the guards. And uh, he's very, very cold-hearted, isn't he? When, you know, he finds her and... Oh, yeah, it's horrible, actually. Yeah, because she's been shot and he's still like, I'm going to kill you. And she's like, you're too late. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's yeah. quite nasty, actually. The thing is, I like the actor, Milton Johns, because he's... I don't know about you, mate, because I'm a couple of years older than you, but he, he used to pop up in all sorts, that guy. Um, he used to, you know, like whatever I was watching, so it was the Sweeney, Mind, uh, yep. comedies. Back in the day, it's just one of these actors that, because he's quite, um, he's got a look about him that's quite unusual, isn't it? He's sort of got these beady little eyes and stuff. So, you know, he's quite recognisable. Um, so, I don't know, I, li- I like the actor just because I just, he always plays, he often played like the sort of nasty little stuck up <laughs> were you know and and he's sort of doing the same sort of character in this but um i don't know i quite like him but you're right he doesn't really serve much purpose but i'm kind of glad he's in it though because whenever he's on screen i was like oh look how here he is throwing his weight around i mean is he you know it's as thin as a pencil you could, you could probably blow him over with one blow <laughs> do you know I mean? it's just but here he is giving it all the old mouth and yeah so i quite like him yeah. in it if i'm honest i like as i said i like the actor because I've seen him in a few things, but um, yeah, I suppose he doesn't really do a lot in terms of the story, really, apart yeah. from just being a piece of work. Yeah, yeah, he's um, he's a, he's an interesting character. He's kind of he pops up with the right hump about a lot of things. Yeah, throughout the episode, but doesn't really contribute much to the story. I found other than that no. one scene where he's a real a real that's, beep. That's nasty. That scene. Really yeah, I didn't like that. Bit, yeah. yeah. Did you find that the the actress who played Ferrier, um, Mary Peach, didn't you find that she looked exactly like the lady from the episode Midnight? You know, the lady who's operating the tour. You know, the the tour. Oh, uh, lady who's operating. I know what you mean. Um, it's not. Sorry, it's not Mary Peach because that's Astrid. Um, oh, sorry, not Mary uh, Peach. Um, could be Carmen Monroe. I'm not sure now. She, she, I, Faria, she Carmen did, Monroe. You're Carmen Monroe. She did yeah. remind me of somebody. Yeah, I kept thinking I've seen her in other things. A bit like Milton Johns. I was thinking, yeah, I recognise her face, but um, I couldn't couldn't place her actually. Yeah, sorry, uh, uh, Faria. Yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, because I thought, wow. So did her daughter grow up and she's, you know, in Doctor Who in in Midnight because they look really, really similar. Like really. Oh, right. so, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I thought, uh, yeah, that scene, nasty, nasty. A nasty piece of work, Milton Johns. He is good at being a nasty piece of work. He's probably one of these people that always plays nasty characters, but when you meet him, he's a really nice guy. Yeah. He might not be. I've never met him, but I'm just guessing. Yeah. <laughs> and he's had a really long career. Yeah, yeah he's done loads. Lo- As I lo- said, he's, he's one of those that just used to be in everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he used to pop up all the time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's talk about some, actually, as we're talking about cast members and so mm. on. Uh, what did you think to um, the, the the people that were dotted around Salamander's headquarters or office? Should I say because there's a now, there's an, there's another one actually that like again and you might be able to tell me who he was because as soon as he came on screen I was like oh I know that guy 
Um, and again, he didn't really do anything. He last seen sitting at a table eating some food. <laughs> uh, and he's got a very like accent like this. And I was thinking, what's he? Has he been in Doctor Who before? Um, I don't know what the character's name is. Do you know the guy I mean? He's got the sort of silvery grey jacket, and he was just like. He didn't do a lot. I think he's only in the first few episodes. And oh he yes, yeah. sat around eating food for a while, and <laughs> and uh, but I recognise him as well, and it was driving me mad. Um, yeah. I'm just trying to find out who would have been there. Was it um, George Pravda? Yeah, that's him, George <laughs> Pravda. So what else has he been in? Because he he's a face I know. Um, Dennis, yeah. Um... Oh, I don't know, mate. I haven't seen him in. Oh, he was in Thunderball, but I don't the James Bond, but that's not what I'm thinking of. Mm. TV appearances. Um, oh, he's been in lots of stuff. Uh, oh, he was in the Mutants. Oh, he's in the Deadly Assassin. That's where I know him. Yes, he was, <laughs> I knew that. I recognised him from another Doctor Who story. Yeah, he was in the Deadly Assassin. There we go. There you it, go. It's the voice you see as soon as he starts speaking with that accent, which sounds put on, but actually, I, I think it's genuine. Uh, <laughs> Um, yeah, have you got the picture in front of you? Do you know I the guy I mean? I know him, yeah, yeah. yeah. His character was yeah. Dennis, yeah. That's it, yeah. yeah he so was he was right another there. one I recognised, but he kind mm. of vanishes after a couple of episodes, doesn't he? He does, yeah. Mm. Um, Talking of accents, by the way, what did you think? Did <laughs> the Aussie accents in this, they kind of, well, they're not very good, but I don't know about you, but did they sort of fizzle out they through did, the episode? Yeah. I kept thinking, <laughs> sure they're not, I'm sure they're not doing the Aussie accents anymore. Like, they do it in the first episode, don't they? on the locations and stuff. But I don't know. I could be wrong, but I'm sure they, they're not speaking Australian by the end of the episode. Yes. They, it does fiddle out, fizzle out. Sorry. At the beginning yeah. when they're getting chased by the dudes on the hovercraft. Yeah. It's like, bro, so you're coming. <laughs> yeah. You kind of think, oh, well, they're trying to do a, an Aussie accent. I think, I think yeah, that's Australian. Yeah. And then, yeah. And by certainly by episode midway through episode three and four, there's not an Aussie accent to be found anywhere. It's just no. defaulted back to, you know, standard British, yeah. you know, that stuff. So yeah, that's really funny. I, I noticed that as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there was another uh, dodgy accent as well. The guy who Salamander was blackmailing in, in the episode two, oh, you know, the guy in the God, glasses. Yeah. The one who gets poisoned. Poisoned. Yeah. He was, um, <laughs> he was, uh, yeah. I, I think not, he was trying to be Dutch or, I don't or know Swedish what he or something, but you're yeah. Swedish, yeah, possibly. Yeah. But he drinks that poison the fall. Ah, <laughs> why you why would you 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 know you've upset him? You're dealing with a mass murderer here. The last thing you do is accept a drink from him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, exactly. yeah. You're blimmin' asking for it. Um yeah. yeah, the accent was a bit dodge on that one as well. <laughs> it was, wasn't it? Yeah. And we also um there was also the the guy. So the characters that I was going to mention where there was the chef who was kind of like the comic relief. He was like this guy that was a grumpy oh, old, um, yeah. uh, what's his name? He was, he was kind of like a, I like the chef. I thought he was quite funny. Yeah. He was like a real grumpy sort of cynical old thing. He was like, Oh yeah, yeah. I'll probably fall over later. You know, that kind of character. <laughs> where he was, Griffin, wasn't it? Griffin, yeah. the chef. That's yeah. it. Yeah. He was kind of funny. I liked him. I did, yeah. Just added a bit of humour into the episode um, halfway through, didn't it? With him, yeah, just moaning about everything. Yes. It's a nice contrast to him 
and uh, and the the lady you're on about earlier, you know, the way that she's so serious and she's constantly trying to warn people what salamanders really like. You know, any opportunity that no one's around, she's like, he's a bad guy. So, oh, someone's coming. No, no, you know, all hail salamander. You know, so that was quite nice because you got her trying to be all serious and he just added that nice bit of comedy in moaning about his soup and, mm-hmm. <laughs> and stuff like that. Yeah, that's yeah. good. And then we had the guy who was one of the guards. He was almost like a Laurel and Hardy type of, you know, there was this, this guard that was, um, he sort of picked up on the fact that, um, uh, that Astrid had been in the park earlier and he recognized and went and grasped her up to, to Salamander and he, the, the, the Oh, he, yeah, yeah, I know. Go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was really funny because he didn't really know what he was doing. There was one bit where he was like, nope, this prisoner is not having any food. What's going on? Yeah. And then Bruce would walk past and go, I make the rules, mate. You sort him out. And then he's all big smiles like, would you like any salt and pepper with that, sir? And he, he just <laughs> didn't right, seem to yeah. know what he was doing. One minute he was playing Mr. Bad Guy and the next minute he was this bumbling fool and the next minute he was just being beaten up and yeah. I, I liked him as well. I thought he was funny. Yeah, again, yeah, it's a nice nice bit of um, character in there as well. I'll tell you who I was disappointed in, though, is uh, Colin Douglas as, as Bruce. Oh, right, because right. Because I've seen him in other things, and I know he can be really menacing, and I know he can be a lot better. And in this, he just, I, I couldn't put my finger on it, but he just doesn't seem to be giving much in performance it's almost as if he's holding back i don't know I, I couldn't put my finger on it but i kept thinking i've seen this guy be really horrible and i know he can play sinister um even even in uh, um what was it even in heidi high he played this really <laughs> sort of creepy slimy um holiday camp inspector and he was sort of going around sort of blackmailing people to get what he wanted and he was horrible in it yeah. And, you know, genuinely, you sort of thought, even though you knew it was a guy playing the character, you were like, God, he's horrible. Mm-hmm. And I, so I was a little bit disappointed in his performance in this because I just thought, I know he turns out to be quite good, so maybe that's why he was holding back on the sinister side. But he's got the look with the black jacket and the glasses and the sweat bag. I don't know. I just thought he should have been a bit more... I don't know. I just think he didn't give every, didn't yeah. give his all in this for me. I've seen him a lot better in other things. He was so. better in Horror Fang Rock. Is he in Horror Fang Rock? Yeah, Ruben. You know the. That's him. Yeah, I didn't, yeah. Hadn't I had not twigged that was the same guy. Yeah, he's slightly better in that in that story. Yeah, yeah I, I know what you I mean. I just though. know that he can. I know that he can do. Yeah. sinister and stuff and i just thought he just seemed a bit because as soon as he popped up i was like oh him yeah know yeah. this guy and yeah he just seemed a bit the way he says his lines as well is a bit weird i don't know if you noticed that he sort of <laughs> pauses on the words sometimes like i was thinking what's he trying to do here yeah you know, maybe he's a bit trying something different or he just couldn't remember his lines 100 percent or something <laughs> yeah. but yeah. yeah, I know what you mean though. He, 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 I thought he was I mean, going to be. It wasn't a bit bad. More... Yeah, it wasn't bad. No, it, it wasn't just bad. Could have been better. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what did you think to um, the the combo then early on of of Kent and Giles Kent and Astrid? Because we we sort of meet them too quite early, and they're in it throughout the mm-hmm. the whole story. Because um, uh, again, we said we didn't see the twist coming. That was really good. But yeah, those two I thought were pretty good. Especially, I really like Astrid. She was. Performance was okay, but I liked her character. I thought her character was a really cool kind of undercover, no messing around, because she gets into a couple of scuffles, doesn't she? 
Yeah, no, I, I have to say, I thought I thought both of those guys were really good. Um, so who was Astrid? Mary Peach, um, I thought gave a good performance because um, it's quite easy to go over the top when you're playing this sort of gun-ho, all, you know, very strong sort of character. And I thought she, she played it really quite well, actually. Um, so I thought she was good. And I thought Bill Kerr as Kent was uh, particularly good. Um, seemed to be really taking it seriously and was great in scenes with with Troughton, I thought, um, yeah. especially at the end where he flips and turns really nasty. Um, I thought he was I thought he was a particularly good actor, actually. Um, hmm. Get that lovely scene where they're in the caravan with that classic line from Troughton, don't we, where he says, you know, people spend all their time making beautiful things just for other people to come along and break them. And yeah. There's yeah. a lovely scene between those two. And I, but I just thought he was a particularly good... Because when you're working opposite Trout, and sometimes he just outshines mm-hmm. the other person on the screen because he's so good. But I thought I thought Bill Kerr was uh, was a good match yes. opposite Troughton. So yeah. I thought they were both very good, actually. Yeah, they were very good. Yeah. I really liked Bill Kerr. There were a couple of scenes where he really goes for it. Yeah, there is, yeah. Especially at the end where he confronts Salamander. Mm. And, um, he, you know, you, he gets found out and the penny drops and we know what, what he's about. He really yeah. goes for it, doesn't he? So yeah, I really liked his performance. And Astrid, I thought Mary Peach, but she was pretty good. I thought, yeah, I thought they they both stood out as being really yeah. good. I mean, yeah. the other cast was were fairly strong, um, but I just thought they both stood out as giving really good performances. Those two. Yeah, no, I agree, yeah. mate. Uh, what did you think to uh, Jamie and Victoria then? Well, I feel a bit sorry for Deborah Watling in this because she again, again, this happens a lot, doesn't mm-hmm. it? She, mm-hmm. she just gets shoved in the kitchen. Um, whereas Fraser gets a bit more to do because he gets to he gets to do the the whole fake bomb thing, so he becomes the, one of um, Salamander's sort of henchmen for a while, and that's really good. I like that because I, I didn't know what he was doing at the start when he throws his radio over the wall. Did you? I was like, what? <laughs> what's he doing? <laughs> what's he? Yeah, um, yeah. Obviously pretending it's a bomb and all that. So so Fraser gets a bit more to do, and he's very good as Jamie's. He's, you know, he's, it's a nice performance from him. He could have been in it a bit more. I think they're not even in episode four, are they? Either of them. They're on holiday, aren't they? They're really on holiday. Weird. This was yeah, weird back in holiday. the day. <laughs> Don't you find it strange? I mean, you'd never, ever yeah. have that now that, you know, Capaldi wouldn't be in a certain part of a, an episode because he went on holiday. You'd never have that now with contracts as they are. Well, it's yeah, bizarre. I don't know. It's, it is a bit weird, isn't it? So they they disappear for like, yeah, the whole of episode four. But it's it's Victoria that I feel sorry for because she doesn't really get anything to do again. Um, and she's a bit whiny and, you know, and I love Deborah Watling. And obviously, very sadly, we lost her quite recently. So, yeah. but but I just feel sorry for her. She's just, she isn't given anything to do. Whereas at least Fraser's given a bit of... Um, bit of storyline you know in terms of becoming the henchman although he doesn't last very long does he before he's discovered um but at least he gets a bit more to do and yeah so not not, i just feel a bit sorry for victoria really no i agree and it's one of those it's a shame really because because fraser hines is very good with pat Troughton. you Mm. you often find that not just yeah well yeah like you say in this case you know Deborah Watling, she does take a back seat because those two are they work so well together that they do they get a lot of scenes written throughout every pretty much every story where they're in it together. Those two are because they bounce off each other really well and you yeah, know, you know. So it, whichever companion you know gets a, a back seat to it really, and it's evident in this one because yeah, 
she does get relegated to the kitchen fairly early, you know, which you pointed out. But um, but I thought um, Jamie was was pretty good. And he had a couple of really good scenes. I had these moments with Fraser Hines where he just owns the scene. You know, you know, like when not not to the scale that Pat Troughton does when he comes on, but there are these moments where he gives like a little cheeky smile, or he's you know, where he's having a conversation with somebody, and mm. he, he really holds his own regardless of what actor's there on the set and whatever scene it is. He, he has this these moments where he just, he does own it a little bit. And I love that about Fraser Hines. So yeah, just another example of him being really, really good. Um, just would have been nice again to see a bit more of them, like in the same way that we, I wanted to see a bit more of Pat Troughton as the Doctor. Mm. It would have been cool to see a bit more of them because they do pop up, obviously with the exception of episode four where they buggered mm. off, but they do pop up in every other episode just in little nuggets really yeah and then probably the best bits at the beginning and end isn't it it's a lovely scene on the beach where there's you know um jamie and uh jamie and victoria i keep wanting to say zoe when they're when they're just sort of you know on the beach together with the doctor it's lovely and then at the end when salamander wanders into the tardis and they assume it's the doctor i mean i have to say come on i was saying into the screen you know come on jamie you know the doctor well enough to know that's not him although it's it's quite well done isn't it the way salamander's just all yeah. doesn't speak yeah. so it could be the doctor so but yeah apart from those sort of bits you know like you said the rest of it's just little little bits in between so yeah and it's a six-parter there, there could have been plenty for them to do i think yeah i think a little so. bit sidelined yeah yeah and okay, Mr. Troughton himself then as Salamander. I mean, I think it's easy to to review him as the Doctor because he's in it. I'm not saying that he, you know, they just banished him from from the script completely, but he's not in it. He's he's in it as Salamander way more than as the Doctor. So as the Doctor, just brilliant as always, really funny and zany in certain parts, but then also these quite serious, you know, moments. So great as you know with the doctor but i found mm. him so interesting as salamander you know the accent was ropey a couple of times but i think for the That's most a little bit yeah. yeah but i think for the most part I, he looked like he's having so much fun playing another character especially someone who's i think that's a common theme if if you ever watch any special features on films or tvs where an actor has the opportunity to play a bad guy like david tennant absolutely loved playing a bad guy in jessica jones Mm. so i think it's a common theme for actors where they get to just be nasty for a bit you know and they get to really explore that fun you know acting skill where they just you know they don't have to be nice they don't have to be liked or loved they can just be as mean as they want you know for a little bit mm. and it, it looks like he's loving that part of it so yeah i really like him as salamander i, I thought yeah i was gonna say i think he, it's good because Obviously, they don't do much in changing his appearance apart from sort of sweeping his hair across. <laughs> <laughs> so really, the whole difference is uh, is in his performance. And yeah, the accent's a tad pantomime, um, but it, it's not, you know, it still works um, enough just to make him different enough from the Doctor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's really nice. I mean, like uh, the bit I love is the, is the bit you mentioned earlier when the Doctor's pretending to be Salamander in front of Jamie and Zoe, because I just love the way when he falls off the chair and he just switches straight from one character to the other. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was, that was really nice to see him go from those two performances in that split second. And you get to see the real difference, you know? So I, I think he does a great job. And I do feel like they're two characters as well. Do you know what I mean? I don't sort of sit there thinking, Oh, well that's, you know, 
it's a bit ropey. Well, you know, it's, it's the same guy, obviously. Yeah, I do feel yeah. like they are two very different characters um, yes. because of Pat's performance. So, yeah, obviously, you know, with the costume and, and the swept back hair and all that. But, but uh, yeah, I think he does a good job portraying two different characters. So he's, he's quite sinister as Salamander. And I think that's, you know, he gets a good line between just right and not too pantomime villain, if you know what I mean. Yes. No, he does. Yeah. The switch is very, it's quite unnerving in a way because just mm. the expression on his face as well, everything changes and he's he's into that other character. So, Actually, it's one of the few good cliffhangers in this is when there's a close-up of, of Salamander's face where he's just really angry, where mm. he's worked out that someone's impersonating him. And it's just a shot of Trouton's face, isn't it? But he really looks like, yep. you know, oh, I'm going to, you know, I'm really going to gonna sort this guy out. And I thought, yeah, you know, quite, quite sinister. Yeah. So. Is there anything you want to mention before we get on to our scores, buddy? No, I don't think so, mate. I think we've covered it. Uh, one thing I would say is there's hardly any music in this one. It does pop up mm-hmm. at various points and then it drifts away. We don't. I think there was one episode there was no music at all apart from the last two minutes. I think it was episode three or four. I didn't notice hardly any music. I think there's yeah. a few bits of stock music, but I didn't notice yeah. music at all, really. Yeah. yeah, I think, yeah, it's just stock stock stuff. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, yeah, Enemy of the World, it's your turn to go first. It is, isn't it? Um, I'm going to rate this an 8.5. I think it's quite a strong story. So I was sort of around an 8, but I, I don't know. It's not a 9, <laughs> but I feel it's sort of in the middle. So 8.5 for me, this one. Okay. I'm going to give this one a 7.5. Or 7.5, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think it's a decent watch. Very much enjoyed it. I just mm. wish there was a bit more character content from our from more people. But otherwise... Um, a fairly decent six-parter, really. Yeah, and I think the ending, as I said, I probably would have hide it, scored it higher if the ending had sort of wrapped things up a bit nicely. When it when it ends, I feel like we're sort of still halfway through the story, and obviously then next week we're straight into Web of Fear, so it doesn't nothing really gets properly resolved. So that would have sort of brought it up a bit higher, I think, for me. Yeah, no, I agree, mate. Mm. Right, yeah. What did our beautiful listeners think? Yeah. Uh, we got a bunch of audio clips in, so I'm going to go two by two, like I've done the last couple of weeks. So this is going to be Lewis Palmer, followed by Sammy Satine. Hello, Big Blue Box podcast. I'm on holiday in Ibiza at the moment, so apologies for any uh, weird sound things like uh, echoey noise and stuff or any background noise, but I wanted to take this time to record this audio clip for the enemy of the world because I seem to me in the minority in that I don't really like it that much. It's one of those cases where I can tell something's great and I can appreciate the greatness there, but it's not my cup of tea and it's not one I would necessarily be drawn to in the future. Patrick Troughton is absolutely fantastic in it, though, in the dual world. Very ambitious... Uh, for the time, and it's got a great quote from him too. It's sad, really, isn't it? People spend all their time making nice things, and other people come along and break them. I really like that quote a lot, and uh, he's just fantastic throughout the entire story. And I really like the beach scenes at the beginning too. Um, unfortunately, I just think it kind of drags. Um, but as I said, I can understand that it is fantastic, um, and I can see why people would really like it. It's just not my cup of tea. It's not for me really, but. Uh, yeah, and see you later, guys. G'day, Gary and Adam, Sammy Satane here. So, enemy of the world. So the Doctor, Victoria and Jamie arrive at Bondi Beach only to be shot at because the Doctor looks like the evil Salamander. I like Astrid. Victoria is so sweet. 
Jamie kicks butt as to Patrick Troughton well. It is an absolute credit to his acting abilities that he can pull off playing the Doctor, Salamander, and playing the Doctor pretending to be Salamander. I give it a 7 out of 10. A good story, but for me, not a story I'd rush back and watch. See ya. Thank you, guys. Thanks, guys. Yeah, that's uh, interesting. Uh, normally, me and Lewis, we, we quite often agree about stories, so I quite did actually visibly gasp <laughs> when he said he didn't like it. But, uh, yeah, I, I get what he means. Yeah. Over on Twitter, uh, Ashley Gregory says, one of my favourite stories. Uh, Silent Nerd C137 says, one of my favourite Troughton episodes. Love Salamander and the whole faking a nuclear fallout, keeping people in the bunkers. Um, is evil 9 out of 10? Um, Daniel Fox, if the doctor hadn't fancied a dip in the sea, none of the enemy of the world would have happened. Uh, <laughs> Troughton's acting alone is a nine out of 10. Uh, old Theta Sigma podcast says there are several outstanding Troughton stories, but for me his double performance alone is a five out of five. Fantastic. Oh, cool. Um, Gallifrey Hoovian absolutely loved this story. Um, and uh, Cindy Lou Hoovian said, my first Troughton episode, and I really enjoyed it. Always fun to see how early a sci-fi imagined our times. Yeah. Uh, really love Jamie. Eight out of ten. Uh, let's crack on with some more audio clips. This is going to be James Coleman and then Joe Sweeney. Hi, Gary and Adam. Here's my review of The Enemy of the World. So I think this was a great story with a lot of dramatic moments and good pacing throughout. I think Patrick Troughton's performance is phenomenal, especially that it has to play two characters during the story. It's good to see less of the Doctor, so that means you can focus on other characters during it as well. I think Salamander is a great villain, who's very sinister and powerful. Uh, I think Jamie and Victoria showed a good performance and had a lot to do. Uh, there's a good supporting cast, and I think Bruce is probably one of my favourite characters. Uh, and there's a nice twist at the end with Giles being the villain, which I never expected. My favourite scenes were probably in the underground facility, where the people had to wait there for a whole five years. And it's good to see that you don't need an alien threat to necessarily make a story good. I think the music in this story was exceptional, and probably film-worthy. I think this overall is one of my favourite Second Doctor stories, so I give it a 9 out of 10. Okay, I'll see you guys next time. Bye! Hello, Guy and Adam. Hope you guys are well. The Enemy of the World is such a fantastic classic Who story, and it's one of... Troughton's absolute best and I like how the story is more of like a um, um, an espionage um, f- um, thriller like like James Bond and Mission Impossible um, I thought Patrick Troughton handled two roles so perfectly as the Doctor of course and also as um, um, Salamander and I thought Jamie and, um, and Victoria were, were also um, very good as well. They played um because they played their part in the story, and um and I like how the how the whole story concluded. It just it wrapped up so nicely. So overall, um um a fantastic story, and um and I will give a score of um a nine out of ten. Hope you join podcast guys. Be soon. Take a um. Bye bye for now. Thank you very much, guys. Interesting, because the first review said about the music, which we didn't really notice. I mean, and Joe said that it wrapped up perfectly. Yeah. And I was sort of thinking, oh, that's two things we sort of picked up we weren't sure about, but mm. interesting. Good points of view, though. Mm. Uh, let's yep. nip over to Facebook. Uh, Adam Mamoon, Adam the Hoovian. <laughs> Adam uh, Mamoon. So it's a great espionage story. 
uh, with Troughton being brilliant as the Doctor and Salamander, and even the Doctor pretending to be Salamander. Yeah. Uh, support cast were very good. Fraser Hines doing a, uh, having a good part to play in the whole story. Uh, Snickly directed uh, as a six-parter. Doesn't feel like a slog to sit through. Um, nine out of ten. Okay, cheers, Mamoon. Very much agree. Doesn't feel like a six-parter to me. Mm. Uh, let's have a look. Kevin Mullen says, like many, I'd only seen episode three when it was released as part of the Lost in Time DVD set. Oh, that's the one. Yeah, yeah. and thought it was incredibly boring. When Enemy of the World was finally released, <laughs> complete, I was astonished at how brilliant it is. Troughton's absolutely on fire in the dual role. And uh, a few things uh, are poorly thought out. The underground survival chamber, but they don't detract from what is a very strong storyline. Nine out of ten. Uh, Jeff Waddle, very good, but not brilliant. It's a bit of a mishmash of ideas, so they struggle to do things well with the budget. Hence the, the guarding of what's-his-name in the corridor. <laughs> yes. Um, it's very easy to get through. <laughs> Um, it's very easy to get through security to one of the top men in the world. Yeah, it's very true. Uh, the do- doctor not willing to act until he knows what's going on for sure. It never stopped him before. I uh, did think that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the chef is funny. Trout and he's great in his dual role. And, uh, it's like, um, uh, the woman, uh, with the pram wandering around aimlessly cracks me up every time. It's like a Monty Python scene. Oh, do you know what he means? No, there was a few times where there was just a woman with a pram just walking around in the set. <laughs> and uh, most notably, when they look out of the one of the windows and they look down at the guards on the roof, you know when they've been, the guards are chasing uh, Astrid and, and Jamie and so on, yeah, up into this big sort of block of flats, it looked like. When they're looking out down into the, the floor area, there's like three guards and a woman just pushing her pram. Up and down. Notice that. I need to have a look for that. Yeah, it's funny. Um, yeah. Uh, he goes on to say it worked as a one-off. No <laughs> aliens, but you could do that every week. Uh, as he says, very good. Eight out of ten. Cheers. And Jeff's still angry about Nightmare and Simpson. He's still very angry. He posted saying still angry. Yes. Yeah. Uh, let's do these final two audio clips and we're going to final few on Facebook. This is Martin Arnold and then Owen Daly. Hello, Titus Travellers. Hope you're doing well. Uh, Enemy of the World, brilliant episode. Um, it's got such uh, such pace, yeah, and it's just so exciting, you know. I love that kind of Jerry Anderson sort of spy vibe. It's not a story that I think would be out of place in, bizarrely it might seem, Captain Scarlet or something. It's got that, you know, funky retro future kind of feel with all the different zones um, and, and characters like Astrid with a, you know, fighting boots and everything. I mean, it's it's proper 60s sort of, super spy um uh you know almost almost science fiction kind of going on you know with salamander's um strange base of uh people doing his his earthquake work and so forth um that was a strange little twist i didn't see that coming excellent stuff my only real criticisms are are um that i wish i could i wish there had been more of the doctor in the actual episode but obviously they gave um they gave a lot of stuff to Salamander and a lot of work for Patrick just doing that one role, which he does brilliantly. Um, and the other complaint is the ending. The ending is really, really abrupt. They're minor complaints, really. It's a, it's a, it's a fantastic episode. All the way to Gallifrey for me. Thanks very much. Hello again, Adam. Hope you're well and enjoying the show this week. So, Enemy of the World by David Whitaker. Now, David Whitaker and I have a bit of an on-off relationship. I like some of his stories and I don't like some of his stories. But this story, I love. It's Doctor Who does James Bond with Patrick Troughton playing a dictator. Like, what isn't there to like? He nails Salamander. 
um, per- down to a T and it's so amazing how just like a swipe of the hair and a different accent on the second Doctor and he's just a completely different character and I think that proves why Patrick Troughton is one of the best Doctors and best actors in the show um, it's great having Victoria in the story because it's such a pity uh, Deborah Watling most of her stories are missing so it's great that we have a full story now that was recently recovered um, I love the scene at the very start with the Doctor on the beach who when he goes for a swim it's just classic second Doctor and overall the story is just solid whole and just great to watch. So I'm going to give it a 8 out of 10. Thanks for listening and enjoy the rest of the show. Cool. Cheers, guys. Thank you very much. Um, right, back over on Facebook, Mr. Dean Jones. So it's Doctor Who meets James Bond style thriller. Terrific music, great characters and performances, especially from the ever-excellent Patrick Troughton. 10 out of 10. 10 out of 10, wow. Cheers, Dean. Uh, Joseph Howarth. Uh, why was this story taken away from the archives at the BBC? It's so brilliant. Mm. Uh, it's not exactly within the same... Uh, genre that Doctor is normally in, uh, but it's such a good story. Uh, the highlight for me is definitely Griffin the Chef because wherever he opens his mouth, it's just comedy gold. <laughs> um, he gives it a nine out of ten. Um, my good friend, Mr. Nick Gill, says, I love this story from the time I viewed the then isolated episode three on the Trout and Years compilation VHS set in the 90s. Uh, the acting is spot on with Pat playing two roles, and Victoria and Jamie have more to do in his story than usual. However, had all the episodes not been deleted from the other stories of the season, I have the feeling this would have probably been viewed as one of the weaker stories mm. by critics. I uh, don't care about that. Just love Pat's Doctor and love that we have it complete in the archives again. Very true. Uh, Aaron Ball says one of the best stories of all time. Ooh. Salamander is a brilliant villain and his return in the third doc for Titan Comics is a great choice. Patrick stands mm. out as one of the best and shows why he is the best Doctor in Jamie and Victoria do a top job. Uh, very happy it was found. Here's some more second stories being found. Fa- second Doctor stories being found. He gives it a 12 out of 10. <laughs> Crikey. Wow. Ryan McGiven says, a very tense drama with a brilliant played dual role by Pat. Bill Kerr was also brilliant um, by being a two-faced villain in a twist I didn't expect. Uh, Leslie Shergold, one of the best ever. Great double turn for Troughton. Such a shame that a DVD is devoid of extras. Nine out of ten. Yeah, true. And lastly, Morgan McCandless says, what can I say? It's completely and utterly brilliant. And um, he left a really long comment, so I can't read the lot, but he goes on to uh, say how great it is. Um, yeah, he doesn't give it a score. So, um, But from his comments, I can tell that it's probably going to be a nine or a ten. So that was Facebook. Anything on the Geek's Handbag? Yes, out of few and geeks. Uh, so Jason Howe says, not your typical Doctor Who story, which makes it one of the best. Troughton is amazing as ever, um, but jaw-droppingly great as the villain. Um, he also said he enjoyed the Target novel, which was written by Ian Marta. Oh, I must dig that out. Uh, he gives it a 9 out of 10. Charlie Turner, wow. Talk about one of the best Doctor Who stories of all time, he says. Well-written, well-performed, well-everything. One of his personal favourites, he gives it a 9 Point five out of ten. Ooh, so close to a ten, Charlie. Um, Paul Olivo says one of these one of those stories I dreamed of seeing after reading the novel. As a boy, I was gutted to find it was missing shortly after reading it. When I found out it had been found, I thought it was wind up and wouldn't believe it had been located until it was I was actually watching it, and I wasn't disappointed. Troughton turning in one of his finest performances twice and a beautifully written, executed story. Bradley Willard, although there's an awful lot of padding in the middle and the ending, which is slightly anticlimactic, he thinks Enemy of the World is a pretty good story. He says Troughton gives an outstanding performance playing both the Doctor Salamander. Um, half the time he forgot they were the same actor because the performance was so different. He gives it an 8 out of 10. 
Callum Johnson, perfectly per, a perfect story. Troughton's acting really shines here as he gives not one but two amazing performances with an equally great story to back it up. Callum gives it a 10 out of 10 and says it's a classic. And finally, Elliot Beasley sent me a fantastic review um, on Twitter and he just makes a really good point. So it's a really long review, so I'm just going to get to some of the great points he, point, he tells me about. So he says, when he met Fraser Hines... Uh, he got chatting to him for a good 10 minutes. And one of the things they talked about was enemy of the world. I said how much I loved the beach scene at the start. And he told me that most of it was improvised by Patrick Troughton, in particular, the bit where he dives in the sea. Uh, oh, he wow. said he, he said that uh, before its recovery, many people didn't agree with him that it was great and the monster-based under siege story surrounding it. But now that opinion's changed because the whole story's back. Uh, he says, interesting fact for Sammy Satine, the enemy of the world is the only televised story to take place in Australia, unless you count the brief visit in the pilot. So, that's yeah, I didn't know that. Cool. So, overall, he says it's an absolute classic. He gives an 8.75. Out of 10. Very Just precise. Yeah, very yeah. precise. So thanks for your review, Elliot. Mm-hmm. That was really cool. <laughs> and that was it for the Geeks Handbag Lot. Great stuff. Thank you so much, yeah. guys, for all your comments. Very, very cool. And uh, those guys that sent in the audio clips as well. Yes. Awesome source. Now, next week, fast mm. forward into the 12th Doctor. What are we going to do next week, buddy? Yeah, so there was a, there's been a couple of 12th Doctor stories that we didn't review at the time, and we're now on to the final one. So next week, we're going to be reviewing The Caretaker which will mean we will have then reviewed all the 12th Doctor stories. Awesome. So that finishes off our, our 12th Doctor era. So, yeah, next week, The Caretaker. Caretaker. Nice one. Mm. I think we're going to do that, mate, for 155. Okay. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for joining us and listening to episode 155. We broke over the 150 mark. Yeah, rolling. We'll be at episode 942. <laughs> Wouldn't that be weird, you know. won't it, when we get to welcome to episode 1,800? <laughs> <laughs> I think the world will be would have been bored of us by that point just be brains in jars by then won't we cryogenically frozen there'll be some AI program that will take all of our podcasts and be able to nick sentences and put a whole show together <laughs> yeah Troughton style with many switches involved <laughs> anyway thank you so much guys for listening and for sending in your thoughts and uh, reviews for the enemy of the world uh, pretty decent score Roughly a seven point, no, roughly an eight overall. I would say quite a few nines, yeah, but we had a few yeah. nines and tens. Yeah. yeah, next week, the caretaker back to Capaldi. That's going to be good. So, uh, give that a watch because we'll be asking you for your reviews and thoughts on that one. I was trying to think what's it about. It's, I can't uh, remember it. He works, oh, it's the Scovox Blitzer. Scovox, yeah. oh, yes, yeah. He's looking yeah. very Ghostbusters esque. That's that right, yeah. I just remembered, yeah. Head over to the website, www.bigblueboxpodcast.co.uk. You can listen to all of our previous shows on there, plus you can link off to all the social stuffs to give us a like and follows. And you can also subscribe to the show on iTunes and most of the other podcast networks. If you're an iTunes subscriber, if you could drop a review and a like, that would be amazing because that really helps us loads. Head over to Adam's stuff. 
the Geek's Handbag. Just give him a like and a sub over on YouTube. Plus, he's on Twitter and Facebook and all that stuff. I'm everywhere. He's every literally. He's everywhere. In the middle of nowhere, some might say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go and give Adam a sub. Loads and loads of good videos on his YouTube channel. The quality is outstanding. <laughs> Thumbs up. <laughs> anyway, we'll be back next week with 156. Until yeah. then, my name's Gary. My name's Adam. And remember... And... Lozzy!